as those are being handed out. Let, let me just forewarn you that this will probably be a worship service unlike anything you've been in. There, there's literally 15 minutes I'm not going to say a word. Right? And some of you are like, amen. <laughs> this is going to be challenging to some. Some of you have, are, are going to just say, you know, I've done this before. I've been trained before. But let me just say, walk with me in this. We're told to be prepared to be a witness. And that's what we're going to do in this service today. Because we will reach more people, more of God's people in this service than we would in a Sunday school class or a discipleship class. So we're going to be ready when we walk out of this service today. We're going to be ready, but only if you participate. We began two weeks ago a series on practical training for being a witness That first week, we learned that there is a misunderstanding among believers about the command of Jesus when he says to to be my witnesses, go and make disciples. And some of us will look at that and we'll start qualifying or disqualifying ourselves of why we cannot do that. And some would rightly say, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not gifted that way. And here's what we learned in scripture. You're right. You see, some believers are evangelists, but all believers are what? Witnesses. Every one of us are witnesses. So that week, we committed to pray every day, asking God to give us a heart that would, that would desire to love people like he loves them. To, to make a commitment to him that we would obey him in witnessing. And nearly every hand in the service went up in that commitment. That leads us to week two. Week two, we looked at the easiest way to be a witness. And we looked at, at Paul and the apostle Paul when he was in court. He talked about his life before Christ He talked about how he met Christ, and then he talked about his life since Christ. Well, that's the perfect model to be a witness to other people, and that's what we looked at then. We also made a commitment, made a commitment this past week to just pray and and ask God to remind us of who we were before we met Jesus, And then just to thank him for being saved and for being changed through Jesus Christ. If you remember when we read the scriptures about Paul, that he was walking on the road to Damascus, a light came from heaven, he heard the voice of God, and he he had an encounter with the living God that led him to salvation in Christ. And we read that and where it takes uh, one who murders Christians to actually being a Christian. We, we look at that story and we're like, ah, I don't really have a testimony. Mine's not that exciting at all. But through scripture, we did learn that we were all lost. We were all blind. We were all wicked. 
We were all dead. We were all enemies of God. And if you have been saved, those who were lost are now found. Those who were blind can now see. Those who were wicked are now the righteousness of God. Those who were dead are now alive. And those who were an enemy of God are now a child of God, child of the king. And that's something we say, that's pretty dramatic. That's a pretty big story right there. Do you have a testimony? Look at this slide here. Do you have a testimony? Go ahead and go to the next one. The answer is what? Yes. If you are a child of God, you have a testimony. It is a resounding yes as we look at Scripture. But what happens? What happens? I was 14 years old. When I came to the understanding of what salvation was and that I needed to make a decision, I became a child of God at 14. But what happened after that? This happened. I was in high school. I went into the military. I went to college for the second time. I got married, had a career, had children. I went to college. <laughs> you keep on going. Do you see what's happening? We get so far removed from that one event that changed everything that we forget the glory of being named God's child here. Today, my prayer is this, that the joy of your salvation would be restored as you remember who you were and what Jesus has done. If you'll open up your, your booklets to page two, that first blank there is my life before I met Jesus. My life before I met Jesus. The reason why I want everyone to participate today, and there are pencils around in the, in the pulpit or in the, the pews, the reason why I want everyone to follow through with this training is, is for this reason. It's conversational. We're not preaching. We're not going out and standing on the corner preaching to the lost. This is conversational. This is designed in such a way that as you're standing at the bus stop, as you're waiting in line at Walmart, as you're raking the leaves in your yard and you talk to a neighbor, you're on an airplane sitting beside someone. This is the conversation that, that results in what we're going to do today. It's very conversational. And there are some guidelines here on the left-hand side that we're going to follow. So if you'll just look there on the left-hand side, it says, tell where you grew up. I grew up in West Virginia, Hurricane West Virginia. I, I grew up with mom and dad, my sister. Not everyone has that same experience. What's your experience? Was it a chaotic home? Was it a peaceful home? Was, it, uh, was there turmoil or was it, was it a house of love? What, what, did the, what kind of interests did you have? Did you have uh, interest in school, sports, music, college, career? Did you have brothers and sisters? Did you get along or did you fight and fuss? Notice what's not under section A. 
There's no spiritual stuff. There's no church language. There's nothing about my relationship with Christ. There's nothing about going to church. This is about you. It's about the person. See, when I, when I share my story with someone else, I don't want them to hear the story of Steve the preacher or Steve the Sunday school teacher, Steve the, the choir member, Steve the ministry leader. I don't want them to hear that. I want them to hear Steve the person. And that's the way this is designed. So you avoid language in this first part about church and religion or anything like that. You look on further down on that left-hand side. When you describe or tell not only how you lived, so how was your growing up, but listen, this is the key point. What were you thinking and feeling during that time? This is before Jesus. And this way, when you share your feelings and emotions during that time, you now can relate to people because not everybody grew up in West Virginia. Not everyone left West West Virginia and went into the military. Not everyone moved from the military to Florida, Florida, North Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama. Not everyone did that, so they can't relate to what I'm telling. But if I can share some emotions and feelings of that time, everyone relates to emotions and feelings. Was it a time of fear before I came to know Jesus as my Savior? Talk about the fear that you had, the anxiety that you might have had, the addiction that you might have had. What kind of feelings? I I was pressured by my peers to be a certain way. What kind of things were you experiencing here? That way we become relatable through our emotions and our feelings. If you were six years old when you came to know Christ or you were Sam's age when you came to know Christ. That's the only window of time you have to share right here in this part of your testimony. Your life until. If you're 80 years old when you came to Christ, you have 80 years that you can just pull little nuggets out and say, this was my life. This is where I grew up. Here's what happened. Here's how I felt. I want to read to you this, this morning my section A as an example. I follow the guidelines here on the left-hand side. But let me read to you section A of mine. My life before I met Jesus. I grew up in West Virginia with my mom, dad, and older sister. I love my sister, but you would not have known it by how we fought as children. One of my most meaningful memories was when my sister asked me to join her on a date. Upon reflection, I think I was just her bodyguard. We were not rich, but my parents worked hard to meet our needs. Even though I was raised in a good home with loving parents, I realized something was missing. I wasn't the most outstanding student or athlete, but I was real good about being insecure and needing to be accepted by others. So I would hang out with the kids I wanted to be like, and I talked like they talked. I did what they did. I treated others like they treated others. I even tried to be funny to mask my insecurities. Despite my efforts, something was still missing. You hear in my story, there's nothing about church. 
Nothing about God, nothing about religion, nothing about conversion, nothing about being raised in the church, nothing here. This is just Steve's life, just a nutshell version. So here's what we're going to do. Here's the first five minutes of the 15. I'm not going to talk. We're going to have some soft music playing right now. I want you to pick up a pencil or a pen and tell a little bit about your life as you write your story in section A. You can begin right now. Okay, I realize that you might not be completely done, but you should have a good start to your story. And this is something you can continue working on at home. But we're going to move on to page three. So stop writing and move on to page three. Your personal story, how I came to accept Jesus into my life. No one's salvation experience is exactly like someone else. You could say that we are snowflakes spiritually, that we've all had different experiences that led to our salvation and that the event itself and, and what, we, what, what happened to us. And I realize that because we are parted from time, many of us, from that, that event in our lives, there might be some details that you don't remember. And that's okay. You probably still remember generally what happened. And that's what we'll be recording here today. In the Bible, there was a man who was religious. He tithed. He attended worship services. He, um, he gave uh, his, his his life to memorizing probably the first five books of the Bible. This was a man that you would probably look up to as far as a model for Christianity. But we see in John chapter 3, and we have this on on screen, John chapter 3, verse 3. It's probably the next slide. Read this out loud with me. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. Despite all that he had done in his life, one thing had to be true. He had to be born again. See, no one grows up a Christian. And I know I've, I've heard testimonies of others that say, well, I was born in the nursery. <laughs> and, and so I've always been a Christian. Listen, you can't always be a Christian. You might have Christian influence in your life, but you're not always a Christian. A friend of mine, Dennis, was talking to a missionary kid. Now, he wasn't a kid, but he grew up as a kid. And he said, did you receive Christ when you were a child or did you receive Christ when you were a teenager? And his answer was this as a young man. Oh, I've always been a Christian. Well, no, you have not. The Bible tells us, remember, you were lost, you were blind, you were wicked, you were dead, and you were an enemy of God until you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what we know to be true by Scripture. If you look at your left-hand side, we have some guidelines for part B of our story. Tell when, where, who, or what was involved. Were you at home? Were you at vacation Bible school, at church? Were you sitting in a car on the side of the road or in the parking lot? 
Were you with your parents, a friend, a pastor, or a minister? Use your words. It is not helpful to show others your knowledge of religious words right now. In fact, we as Christians have to work really hard to keep religious words out. You would not want to be sitting there with your your neighbor saying, you know, I was listening to the pastor talk about the sacrificial atonement of Jesus' blood and how his blood covers me. That doesn't mean anything to the world. I was sitting at the dinner table. My father was describing to me that Jesus was the propitiation of my sin. That doesn't mean anything to the world. Use your words. Use words that, that in language that the world would understand. There is a, a scripture here, our next scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and then 3 and 4. Let's read this out loud. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, for I delivered you as of first importance what I also received. That's the gospel. Right there. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he died for sins. He did not stay dead, but he came back to life to prove that it's all true. As we look at this gospel this morning, we understand this. People die for causes all the time. We recently passed the anniversary of 9-11. We had people dying for a cause at that time. People understand dying for a cause. And Jesus did die for a cause. He died for all sin. But he didn't stay dead. That's good news. He paid for it. He came back to offer us an invitation to eternal life. That's good news that we need to record. But it's not just our story. We must, in our story, have enough of the gospel that someone can be saved if they're listening. The gospel we just read. So let's look at this next passage on Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Read it out loud with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You see, if we don't include the gospel, it's just a story. Some of us have adventurous stories. Some of us have painful stories. Some of us have boring stories. But none of them have power. The only power that we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power to save. I'm going to tell you a story of two cars. I had $650 when I was 15 years old. I went to a parking lot, a car lot, and I said, I want to buy a car. And the salesman asked, how much money do you have? 
I said, $650. He said, I have a 1971 Pinto that cost exactly $650. I bought a Pinto. 1971 Pinto. I had it painted dark cordovan brown. I bought some mohair material and I had it glued to the dashboard. I put a thrush muffler on the back of that thing. I sounded like a Cessna coming down the road. It had a four-cylinder engine that many motorcycles today had a bigger engine than that car did. Does anyone remember the unique characteristics of the Ford Pinto? If you got rear-ended, what would happen? You'd blow up. Isn't that great? And I got it for $650. I know people were jealous. But that car got me to school. It got me to work. It, it delivered me to the places I wanted to go to be with my friends. It wasn't long after that I had a 1976 Camaro. I loved my Camaro. Snow White. I had a sunroof put into it. I put a hood scoop on it. It had chrome wheels, dual exhaust, 350, four barrel in it. I loved that car. Many people wanted to race me in Hurricane, West Virginia. But even as a teenager, I never did. It was enough for me to know the power that I had in that car. I didn't need to race, but I sure did love driving it. That car got me to school. It got me to work, maybe a little faster. And it delivered me to the places I wanted to go to be with my friends. Your story is a vehicle to deliver the gospel. That's all it is. So when we start saying, oh, I don't have a story, you do have a story. It's the story of your life. As we saw last week, you're a witness to your story. You know it. You've experienced it. You get to share that with someone else. But it is a vehicle to deliver the gospel always because that's the power of salvation, not your story. Got it? So now I want to read my part B to you as an example. And let me just say, as a preacher... This is not easy to use, no spiritual language. But here's what I did. How I came to accept Jesus in my life. Mom and dad would send me and my sister to church, sometimes Baptist and other times Methodist or Church of Christ. It really depended on whose bus would pick us up. When my parents began attending church with us, I got involved in the youth group. I liked our youth minister, Jerry Losh. He meant a lot to me and even helped me through my grandmother's death. In youth group, I first started understanding that the missing piece in my life was spiritual. One night in youth group, Jerry told us that Jesus died in our place for all the bad things we thought or did. I was 14, so I knew there was a lot. He said after Jesus was dead and buried, he was raised to life on the third day to prove it was all true. So a short time later, knowing Jesus would accept me with all my mistakes and insecurities... 
I trusted Jesus as my Savior, allowing him to be the boss of my life. Now you take some time. You have five minutes as the music plays to write your part B. Okay, stop where you are. We're going to move on to part three. And as I mentioned before, you are welcome to continue working on this at home as you maybe have some thoughts that you haven't got to follow through uh, as of this time. But this is the next page, page four. My life since Jesus came in. My life since Jesus came in. Now, the Bible is clear when we read about being born again, that when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And there is such a radical change in your life that the Bible says you are a new creature. That's a big improvement. When you take the God of the universe and place them in little old me and little old you, there's going to be a change. So the proof of your Christianity is not your attendance. The proof is not that you said a prayer. The proof is not that you got into the waters like Sam did this morning. The proof is not that you give money or that you've gone on a mission trip. The proof that you have been saved is that your life has been changed. And that's how we start this off today. You know, there are some changes that are immediate. Maybe you were in addiction and through salvation, God broke those strongholds in your life. Maybe you were an angry person and God just took that spirit away from you. Some are a little more gradual. It might be that you lived a pretty good life already, that you, you really tried not to be mean to other people and you didn't do bad things in your estimation. But now, after being saved, you understand the gospel more clearly when you read it. Or you have a sense of peace that you know that you are secured forevermore. Whatever reason, there will be some change. There was a six-year-old filling out this part right here. Here's what he said. I don't hit my sister near as much anymore. <laughs> That's a change. We could improve on that, but it's a change, isn't it? So following there on the left-hand column of page four, what was the first immediate change in your life? And this is just a statement because this is following up. I met Jesus. Now your next statement is, this is what changed in my life. So it's just a statement. Maybe you have peace. Maybe it's understanding that you've been forgiven and that forgiveness has taken a burden off of your life that you've been carrying for so long. Maybe you were angry and you're not anymore. Number two, after that statement, you go right back to life. Life continues on, doesn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't stop when you become a Christian. It continues. 
So t- talk about your life. What, what happened after that? Did you go to school? Did you go to work? Did you have a change of careers? Did you have a family? Talk about your pets, your grandchildren, just anything that's part of your life. And then number three, this is a critical component of your story. Share the most challenging or painful experience you've had since you have been saved. I see this as really important because it shows that once you're saved, you don't live a perfect life. God doesn't remove all the challenges out of your life. There's still things that are happening in your life. But the one difference now is we have God to see us through. So maybe you lost a loved one or maybe you lost a job. Maybe you didn't make the team or get accepted into the cheerleading squad. Maybe you, you failed out of school or you were addicted Maybe you have a rebellious teen or rebellious grandchild, aging parents. There there are many life events that happen. But in describing that event, also describe your emotion. What were you going through at this time? Because not everyone has the same event as you, but they can identify with the emotion that you were going through at that time. Ultimately, what we're looking at here, we're, we're bragging on God. We're, we're showing how good he is. So I'm going to ask you a question. And, and I want you to out, answer out loud if this is true. Has God been good to you? Let's see, most of this side, part of this side. Has God been good to you? Amen. God has been good to us. And he is worthy to be bragged on to others. Now, one thing that I want to to just mention as we put this at the bottom of the page, at the end of your story, because this is conversational, this one statement, tell me about yourself. Do you see how that is? I've just now told you my story how I came to Christ, change in my life, how my life continues on, the challenge of my life, how God brought me through. Hey, Laura, tell me about yourself. She's going to tell me her story now. Conversational. But we've shared the gospel in our conversation. We'll look at Acts chapter 26, verse 22. Read this with me out loud. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. This is why God has been there for me. He has carried me through. So I want to read you my testimony, and then we will do our last segment of uh, writing. Here is my testimony, part C. My immediate change. The emptiness and insecurities were gone. I still struggled with doing right and did not have direction in life. I served in the army for six years and was discharged after Desert Storm. I had a new sense of responsibility and decided to pursue a degree in business at the University of Central Florida. I discovered I was an outstanding student. Not long after, our church hired a youth minister. She caught my eye. We fell in love and were married the following year. Now, before I read this next statement, 
it's okay to insert some humor. You don't have to be serious and crying through your testimony. I began working in the mortgage industry that moved us from Florida to North Carolina to Alabama. Interestingly, we had a child in each state, which makes us cautious to move again. (laughs) We have a wonderful life, but we also have had hard times. I loved my in-laws, but my mother-in-law became ill. While her symptoms pointed to cancer, we tried to remain positive and encourage her. After further testing, we gathered in their kitchen to hear the results, which confirmed cancer. It was an emotional time fixed, mixed with hope and heaviness, a hope that she would defeat this disease and a heaviness over the battle ahead. We had hoped emergency surgery would eliminate the cancer, but learned she would have to undergo chemotherapy and other test drugs. We maintained an expectation for healing, but after four years of battling cancer with the utmost grace, my mother-in-law passed. And as difficult as that was, God carried us through. As I mentioned, we have three children. My oldest son recently married and works for the city of Orange Beach. My daughter works at Regions Bank in Coleman, and my youngest son is studying business at the University of Alabama. My wife and I recently moved to Boaz, Alabama, and have fallen in love with this community. Tell me about yourself. It's that simple. I'm going to start the music so you can write part C of your story. I'm going to ask you to do something, and really it's going to require the most courageous person in the room. If you have never stood up and talked in church, I'm going to ask you if you will read what you've written. You don't need to ad-lib. You don't need to say, oh, I forgot to put this, or I need to add this. That's, that's stuff for you to finish at home. But you're willing to read what you wrote here today. I'll have a microphone and I'll come down and I'll stand with you. James, let me come down here with you. Thank you, brother. I'm going to hold the microphone for you. Is that all right? All right. Let's start with A. Start with what? Start with the first component, A. A? Yeah. All that? All that. He didn't know what he's getting into. Mm. We got you now. I thought I was just going to do the third one. Oh, we want to hear your whole story. Oh, boy. Okay. My life before I met Jesus, I was an only child in a family that moved a lot to where my dad's job took me as a steel worker. We lived in a 28-foot mobile home trailer for the first 10 years of my life as best I can remember. In Vulcan Trailer Park outside of Homewood, at the time we were involved with numerous activities and I developed many friends, we were very mischievous as I recall and got into trouble at times. 90% of the time. I can relate. (laughs) 
Well, that's all I had time to write on that's that one. That's fine. That's perfect. Okay. All right, second part. Second part, how I came to accept Jesus. Friends allowed me to attend church with them, a small Baptist church about a mile from the trailer park. The preacher was a hellfire and brimstone guy who would put the fear of the devil in your mind if you were not good and respect certain conditions. My best friend and I walked the aisle and accepted Christ as our Savior to keep from going to hell that the preacher described so vividly. All right. That was all I had time to write on that. Okay, you're doing great. You're doing awesome, James. Uh, oh, I, since I became, since Jesus came in, I suddenly became aware of how my mischief was a thing I should not do. So I became a model child and behaved differently in school and at home. However, I was elected treasurer in my Sunday school class, and I took money from contributions and spent it for candy. My parents found out about it, and I had to use my next two allowances to repay it. (laughs) I drifted away from knowledge and love of God through 10 years, military and career training. Met and married a wonderful woman. You had a loving family. Love God. <laughs> she helped bring me back to love it. Amen. Loving God. I rededicated my life in a service. Her brother relayed right after we married. And really wasn't right after we married, but a few years later. And, uh, Amen. Right now I feel closer to him than I felt in a long time. Amen. Thank you, James. Give James a hand. It's that easy, though it's not easy. But you've done the preparation. God says that we are to be prepared to share the hope that we have. It's not easy to stand up in front of people at church. I understand that. And I'm so thankful uh, for your courage, James. Last page, page five. What now, based on what we have just seen in God's word, what should you do today? The key word is do. Let's look at that passage together. James 1, 22. That'd be the next slide. Let's read this together. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. God gave us his word, not just so that we could know about Jesus, but so that we could become like him. That requires action on what he has taught us even this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, these next blanks, make a commitment to share your story with two people this week. Fill in those blanks. Make a commitment to share your story with two people before next Sunday.
I hope that you see that this is not complicated. It is simple. We're not asking you to memorize scripture. We're not asking you to watch a video series or to read a book. We're asking you to tell what you know and what you've experienced in your life. Our story is a vehicle to share the gospel. In Hiram, Georgia, going through this same material, there were two ladies in their 80s that sat on the front row. And they confessed, we have never shared our faith with anyone, but we're going to now. And they did. In Enid, Oklahoma, there was a 42-year-old multimillionaire who stood up in the service weeping because he had given his life to Jesus Christ. The reason why was because their 14-year-old son took this home and read his story to his dad. There was another young lady in her 30s in Asheville, North Carolina. She had mental illness. She made a commitment when she went to her school that she would read her story to other people. And she did. We make a commitment to do that. If you'll look there at that bold writing there towards the bottom of the page, it says, knowing it is my responsibility to witness for my Lord Jesus, I will share my personal story of receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior with at least two people this week. I'm going to ask you to sign that with me, but not yet. This is how easy this is going to be, okay? Here's an example. Hey, Eric. Man, I've been coming to your practice for a year, and I've not really ever talked to you about my life. Would you do me a favor? I made a a commitment at church. We took some time to write out what God's done in our life, and I've written it out, and I made a commitment to read that to two people. Can I read mine to you? Absolutely. Do you see? It's that easy. Now, here's what you do. Right after you finish your story, you grab them by the collar and you shake them and you say, don't you want to be saved? No, that's not what we're going to do this week. We're just sharing our story. So at the end of that, we would say, thank you. Thanks for letting me share. Aiden, it works at school too. At lunch. It's like, hey, we've been going to school together for quite a while. Would you do me a favor? And you would say, yes, we're doing this thing at church where we have just wrote out what God has done in our lives. And opportunity to share the gospel, pull out your phone, do this. Hey, Mary Emily, this is Steve. We're doing this thing at church. And I've written out what God has done in my life. And I was just wondering, would you do me a favor and allow me to read it to you? That's all we're doing this week with two people in our lives. Would you do that? And if you would commit to doing that right now, share your story with two people this week. Would you sign that right now? And date it as I have September 24th, sign and date. Now we're coming to the conclusion. We're still going to have an invitation. You see what happens when we really get into the details of our lives, 
there's sometimes people will come to the understanding that they have never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They might be a deacon, a minister, a choir member. They might be a, a member of a church for 50 years and they never realized that they weren't saved. They know a lot about Jesus. So this invitation might be for you today. When you got to, to that second part of your personal story on page three, maybe you didn't have anything to write or, or you had to make up something. And listen, it bothers you that you had to do that. This invitation's for you to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because God wants you to be able to write something here. Maybe you got to, to the part C, my life since Jesus came in, and, and you know that you haven't had a change in your life. You know that it's the same life that you've always had, and it bothers you because you hear of the changes in other people's lives. God wants you to be changed. This invitation is for you. If you are already a believer this morning, maybe you just want to come and pray for the person that you already know you're going to share a story with, that they would open up their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you get to the end of your story and you say, thank you, if God's laying on your heart to say something else, by all means do that. If he wants you to tag onto that, tell me about yourself, go on and do that. Otherwise, just say thank you and just praise the Lord that you had that opportunity and that you have been obedient.